Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Hello, my name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no Encore, and not as you know it. This is a Skype edition for episode 205 of the No Encore Music Podcast. Craig Fitzpatrick, how the hell are you, buddy? David, as I live and breathe, still, thankfully, (laughs) we should tell people there will be an Encore as well. Don't worry, there'll be an Encore. We can say that now, can't we, during this troubling time? Yeah, we can we can drop the gimmick for one week only, I suppose. Um, how are you doing? Obviously, I'm it's okay. coronavirus mania. We're all we're all up against it. As I say, we're Skype recording, so please allow for any technical difficulties and any kind of awkwardness in the show. We'll get yes. to the news in just a second. It's all about the coronavirus, of course, this week. But more importantly, <laughs> you've been cooped up in you've been cooped up in Kildare for an entire week. How you doing? Out in big LXP, yeah, leak slip. Um, it's not quite Dahi's trip to Vietnam, and if people haven't heard that yet, go and listen to the last episode. Um, I will be settling down with it this evening, haven't had a listen just yet, so you you two will be um, lulling me off to sleep with Dahi's tales of uh, gigging in Vietnam. But leak slip has been very boring. Um, yeah, social distancing for the best part of what? Six, seven days at this point. Have you ever had, like, in the past, like, prison fantasies? <laughs> Hold on, that sounded a bit weird. But, like, did you ever think, like, okay, you know, if I did actually get sent to prison and I didn't have to deal with, like, prisoners, like other people, like, getting shivved or something, it might actually be good. I'd, I'd do some writing. I'd do, like, loads of push-ups and get absolutely ripped. I'd become very <laughs> spiritual. <laughs> I used to have this talk quite a lot, like, yeah, maybe six months in the slammer, be fine. I'd, be co- I'd come out a better person. 
<laughs> six days in League Club. I'm like, no, 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 no. Prison is not for me. Um, I'm not even like, I'm still procrastinating about doing everything. I haven't watched any like box sets. I haven't done anything. I'm just flicking constantly through feeds going, oh, the debt toll's going up worldwide. Great. <laughs> Yeah, excellent. You're really owning this, Craig. <laughs> Michael Pope of the Galaxy Fame sent me a photograph of a, a, his like workout that he did on the roof, just of like a towel and some weights on the roof of his uh, apartment building. And he said, "I just worked out on the roof. I feel like I'm in the joy." <laughs> so like, everyone's feeling the prison. I could I kind say, of I imagine him in the joy, to be honest. <laughs> oh, and that's yeah, that's a compliment. He'd be fine though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't had prison fantasies, Craig. My life is not a fucking Mills and Boone novel that it apparently is for you. So it, yeah, it's getting very strange yeah. out here. I went for a run. Social there, distancing, like, though, very important. Yeah, I went for a run two nights ago uh, with my sister. We maintained a distance, um, but we're kind of running up by Intel. Intel's out and leaks up and kind of like along by the roads. All of the lights and all of the power went out, so it was pitch black roads. There was some like ESB dudes trying to like sort it out, but we were like, this is the end of the world. Couldn't see a thing. <laughs> I was just like, all right, lads. Great. I- I've become Mr. Thumbs Up guy as well when I'm out running. Just everyone I see, I'm like, big thumbs up. It's like, we're all in this together. Yeah, I don't know. I'm losing I've been my asking, mind, man. How are you? <laughs> I've been asking shop staff how they're getting on. I've been yeah. like, hey, <laughs> on, how's your week been? And I've Little been wink. saying stuff like I've been over, I've been oversharing. I've been like, I used to work in a supermarket back in the day. I worked during nine eleven, so I know what it's like, guys. Keep the head up. I literally said, keep the head up to a guy in Little today. Well, who the fuck am I? It's like that tweet you constantly see of like people going, um, you know, went into the store and saw someone that looked a bit like you know under the cosh, blah blah blah. And I was like, are you okay? And they're like, yeah, yeah, all good. And they're like, no, I used to work in retail. You can tell me. I'm never quite sure if those <laughs> those conversations are actually real, but yeah, that is a bit of a trope. <laughs> Did you... Uh, you've seen Uncut Gems, right? I have, yeah. Twice now. You, you know, the, I don't know how you watched it twice. You know the song that plays at the end, Gigi D'Agostino, L'Amour Toujours? Yes, it's one of my favourite ever songs. Have you seen the footage from an Italian, I think it's in Turin, in Italy, of, you know, because this whole thing that people like blaring music on their balconies for solidarity and to keep entertainment alive. Have you seen... On an apartment block in Turin, someone blared L'Amour Toujours and the crowd are going fucking, the crowd, the people who live there <laughs> are going mental. Have you seen this? <laughs> no. It's no, absolutely astounding. Okay. It's incredible. And listen, I, I can't fully capture it, but take a listen to this. It's a tune, Craig. It's a tune, nice. and I'll hear I'll hear no no cross words against it. Anyway, let's dive into the music news. Uh, weird week to compile some music news. Just try and not talk about coronavirus, COVID nineteen, and the huge impact it's having on the entertainment industry across the world. We'll start with Glastonbury. Craig's favorite festival is unfortunately not going ahead for twenty twenty. They did you notice that like they announced the lineup a week ago? It was yeah, just after we very very late. I think it was. 
on the Thursday, actually, uh, with this weird poster in which you had to fucking crank your neck around to try and read it. And now they've issued a lengthy statement, Michael and Emily Evis, saying that they hope that the situation in the UK will have improved enormously by the end of June, but even if it has, we are no longer able to spend the next three months with thousands of crew here on the farm, this course is Worthy Farm, helping us with the enormous job of building the infrastructure and attractions needed to welcome more than 200,000 people to a temporary city in this field. We'd like to send our sincere apologies. 135,000 people had already paid a deposit for a ticket. Those tickets will be paid back at the beginning of April, they hope is the case. Um, it's just the latest in a long line. I mean, this is the norm now. This is whether it's massive uh, films or whether it's huge festivals, everything is shutting down. Everything not named WrestleMania is shutting down. <laughs> Are you saying I'm not going to Primavera in June, Dave? <laughs> I've got some really bad news, Craig. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's amazing how like just it, right up until this time last week, I was like, yeah, there's probably like a 75% chance it'll happen. Um, over the weekend, it was quickly like, I do not want to go near Spain, let alone this gig happening. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously for the best. Yeah, I can't, it's going to be a long time, I think, before a lot of us see a live gig again, right? Just because even when we're like back on the streets and we're back doing kind of day-to-day stuff, those mass gatherings, I mean, it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while. It's also going to be weird because I think even when you finally go to one, you're almost going to be like, is this okay? Like, are we yeah. are we okay to be here? I miss fucking, I miss fucking hugging people, dude. That's what I miss. I'm a hugger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had a conversation. <laughs> I haven't seen my aunt in about two weeks. I had a conversation with her through a window today. <laughs> I was just like waving at her and like, hey, how are you doing? I like opened the window by like a, a smidge and we chatted through that and I was like, okay, this is very weird, but yeah. I do think though, like, and let's, you know, fucking say every prayer you've got if you're of the faith. Um, I do think that like when... <laughs> Which I'm not, we're saying so when. I've got nothing, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> when this all, neither am I, <laughs> when this uh, all dies down and hopefully it dies down in, you know, good time and we learn from it and casualties are minimal it's going to be unbelievable when you finally get back to a gig or to oh, a football match or whatever like it's going to feel like a fucking end of the, uh, at the end of a film like 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 a victory which is actually fitting i suppose because on this episode of course our top fives this week yes. are all about the end credits of films and the songs that play over them we'll also be reviewing the new album from j electronica i'm really looking forward for craig's primer on that one because he's kind of a mythical figure but back to the news, Craig. No more cancellations, and this one's going to really hurt you. The Eurovision Song Contest has to postpone <laughs> itself for the first time in sixty-four years, I believe. I like the, the way you, I like how you said it has to p- postpone itself. <laughs> Please excuse me while I postpone myself. <laughs> I could just You're piss very proud um, <laughs> that the Eurovision Song Contest has united audience every year without interruption for the past 64 years and we like the millions of fans around the world are extremely saddened that it cannot take place we ask for patience through the ramifications of this decision and patiently await news uh, yeah like I say it's more of the same and Eurovision of course has you know evolved into this kind of strangely communal event for a lot of people like it's very much something that does bring people together both ironically and unironically and sure. I think you know that's like like it's 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 tough even like at the moment like I'm writing like a, a feature like a pop culture thing and it feels weird to even be writing about pop culture it feels weird to see artists saying stuff like pre-save my new single it's out on Friday I mean it but I, I really am adamant on this one not to the level of those fucking 
Morons, who did a terrible a cappella group cover of Imagine that you may have seen. Oh my God. Of all days. the songs, I was like, really? You don't get how cheesy this is? Like, <laughs> the worst fucking thing. And also, like, 2FM were like, and then tomorrow we're going to be broadcasting You'll Never Walk Alone along with other <laughs> radio stations around the world. I'm like, I'm sorry, but you know, suffered enough. But like, essentially, I'm all for entertainment. I think entertainment is, is so important right now as a medium. And that's why it's especially galling and, and tough to see a lot of artists being put out of work of course. for who knows how long. It's it's such a mess. I mean, like we don't really have any kind of scientific explanation for this thing or how long it's going to last. I mean, I, it's just it just feels like a glut. Even like compiling the news, like that's just two things. That's Glastonbury and the Eurovision. But it's it's in real time and it's, it's, it's pretty much every event that you can possibly yeah. conceive of is closed. Uh, <laughs> but for the greater good. Oh, totally, yeah. yeah. I will say, like, it's interesting how um, on Sunday, which is feels like about three months ago, we did, like, an audio test run in case we had to record remotely, which we now, of course, do. How quickly did we move off coronavirus and onto, like, the Wikipedia entries of Tampa, Florida mayors past and present? Um, I was amazed. I was like, oh, this, this show is actually going to be fine. We're going to be off coronavirus quite quickly because we just will go down some rabbit hole. But um, no, too much has happened since and it's just everywhere. Did it's you watch the news, any of the, It's the news. Oh, totally. Have you been watching any of the like live gig sessions from like people's living rooms? And obviously Dahi did. He created a track which people should check out and all that kind of jazz. Have you been tuning in? I, I actually haven't been listening watched, to much music. Really. Yeah, I, I watched part one of Dahi's uh, thing. I couldn't do it today because I was working, but I intend to go up and watch the rest of it. It's on his YouTube channel. The Scratch did a really, really cool gig, basically in some yes. kind of makeshift garage barn thing. Everybody was raving about the Mary Wallopers gig that went out the same night. This was on Paddy's Day. And yeah, you, like, you only have to look around. You're seeing Irish artists and international artists doing live streams, doing kind of song construction things, which is cool. I mean, like, it, like, like it's good to see people taking advantage of you know technology craig <laughs> metal gear solid over here but i mean amazing yeah like there is a strange solidarity who's going to be the first person though to turn around and like try and brand it or try and like fuck with it and be like you know sponsored by red bull or something like there's definitely oh, that's coming be some in the pipe of... well i you know i work in advertising <laughs> oh yeah so i might just say it. i might just say to you those talks are ongoing <laughs> i don't know it's <laughs> Of course. I will say the move move for brands, I guess, is to try and actually do something useful and somehow facilitate people. So if they can do that, great. But I think piggybacking on like communal events is really weird. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Well, you say that, Craig. You say that. (laughs) Bono. (laughs) Bono did not let St. Patrick's Day go by without showing his love to the world. He wrote a story impromptu and sang it he posted footage of himself on Instagram playing a brand new song inspired by Italian people who've been on lockdown and I think the song is called Let Your Love Be Known includes lyrics about singing across rooftops sung in a falsetto that I don't think he really quite nails he said he was for the Italians for who inspired it for the Irish for anyone who on this St. Patrick's Day is in a tight spot and still singing for the doctors nurses carers on the front line it's you that we're singing to now I want to be charitable and I don't hate Bono I really don't this is really bad. <laughs> like, it just sounds like a complete mess. I think I'm cracking up because, like, I was prepared to hate on it, um, and it's like it's not a good song. Obviously, like he clearly put it together in about an hour or something. But actually, like, it <laughs> sounded pleasant-ish. Like, I was a bit of a sucker for, um, you know, that song "Every Breaking Wave" from I think the second last album when they did that stripped back like piano version with the edge on the keys. So it's kind of like in that mode. So I, was, I don't know. I was listening to it today. I hadn't heard it yesterday. And I was kind of like, ah, there's Bono. <laughs> we'll all be all right. 
I'm just going soft, man. I'm losing it. This was kind of like your dad after a few sherries, just like taken to the veranda. I don't know. Holidays, like nice gaff as well. <laughs> the sun was out. Yeah, it was we, like the we, south we, of France. Are you, <laughs> could see the sea. Are you shocked? Are you shocked that Bono has a nice gaff? I'm stunned. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what else we got going on. Uh, at least Kalise is trying to do something a bit different. Uh, you can tell that I'm like like Dave Hanrady in terrible Saturday morning news anchor over here. Kalise, meanwhile, yeah, has announced on. Cooked with Cannabis, her new cooking competition show on Netflix. The six episode series will be co-hosted by the singer and the chef Leather Stores, which is a real name apparently. Every episode <laughs> of this new show will feature three professional chefs tasked with creating a three-course cannabis-infused meal for a $10,000 prize. And the first season will uh, feature a rotating cast of dinner guests, including Ricky Lake and LP. Kalis on Instagram, bringing this joyous news to the world, said, As a chef, I was intrigued by the food, and as an everyday person, I was interested in how powerful this topic is in today's society. In as country, an everyday many- person. <laughs> no everyday people say that. In this country, an everyday person myself. have been used systematically to oppress groups of people, but this is so culturally important for us to learn and grow together. Uh, are you a bit of a whiz in the kitchen, Craig? Do you ever put some cannabis into the, the food that you're making? No. Um, and also, like, edibles, right? Don't they hit you pretty hard? Like, if this show is just going to be the meal preparation, I'm not interested. But if it is the meal preparation, the eating of the meal, and then still filming, like, Ricky Lake as she gets massively, massively baked, uh, yeah, I'll probably watch that. Um, Fair enough. But yeah, not like, I mean... <laughs> cannabis infused meals i don't i think i'd steer clear i was in amsterdam obviously recently enough which we discussed in the show and um i kind of fucked myself over i'm not gonna lie (laughs) (laughs) in one of the coffee shops um the first day was totally fine um i i even got myself a little grinder (laughs) i was rolling my own joints that evening when i arrived i was like this is remarkably like fucking cool uh, I'm on top of all of this. I'll have a few joints. It was lovely. Next day, I was like, okay, have a few more. Um, and it turned out I got a sativa strain, which is like more of like an energy high thing um, rather than an indica, which is more my vibe. <laughs> I smoked one. I was like, yeah, this is doing nothing. I'm still, I feel fine. I had three joints <laughs> in the space of like two hours just when I was out and about. And it fucking hit me <laughs> so hard just <laughs> as I got to Amsterdam's Science Museum by myself. <laughs> I went in to get a ticket, right? And like I could barely, my, my like physical self just deserted me. Um, I managed to get out of one, please, handed over my cash. And then when the guy like handed me back my change, I remember just looking at it being like, I don't know how to pick this up. <laughs> I, I literally don't know how to use my hands to pick this up. <laughs> so I was like making eye contact with him and I just put my hand on the counter and like shoveled it into my bag like a maniac. <laughs> and then I lost maybe 10 years just staring at a self-generating whirlpool. Amazing, Craig. That's a hell of a story. Thank you for sharing. Uh, it reminded <laughs> me, just your, your thing there of like, you know, the first one having no effect and then you're like, fuck it, I'll do more. Reminds me of one of my favorite stories ever, which is a friend of mine who I won't name. Uh, years ago in Galway, apparently he did acid for the very first time. Oh, he was given like half a tab or something. Is that what they're called? Tabs? I wouldn't know. They so sure basically, are. 
he takes it and announces to his friend about half an hour later, yeah, it's doing nothing for me, mate. Give us a full one on top of that, would you? And your man was like, no. And then eventually he was like, look, I'm a big boy. I can handle it. It's grand. So the guy was like, fine, here you go. Uh, smash cut to my friend being upstairs in the Roisin Dove in Galway out of his fucking mind, like having an absolute nightmare, freaking out like crazy. And another mutual friend of ours knew that this was happening and made a point of going up to him every 20 minutes or so and saying, hey man, I didn't know you were out tonight. (laughs) Oh my God, that is evil. Destroying him. That is evil as fuck. Anyway, Drake is not taking any chances. We don't know know if he's taking any acid or who knows, but he is self-isolating, which is the responsible thing to do if you think that you have symptoms or you think you have the virus. Don't spread it around. He's self-isolating at his mansion, which we can't all do, in Toronto, after partying with Nets star Kevin Durant, just days after Durant was diagnosed with the coronavirus. Um, Yeah, sad times, but we know what this is going to mean, right? Drake's going to make a fucking coronavirus (laughs) rap, isn't he? It's going to happen. Oh my God. He is... (laughs) He is the absolute perfect and worst artist to be doing a fucking self-isolation album. It will be the most Drake thing of all time. It will just be sad boyness on top of sad boyness. Yeah, can't get the bitches over because I'm (laughs) self-isolating. Jesus Christ, you sound like John Cena there, Craig. Well done. Um, That's what I was going to No, there'd be some kind of like self-isolation triptych lyric about how, you know, like we've all been self-isolating when you've been leaving me on red or whatever the fuck. Uh, I will say it's close out the news section, which again is all coronavirus related. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, It's well worth going on to either my Twitter account because I posted it at Hanrady Dave or onto the Pitchfork website and looking up an interview with the Chinese band by the name of Stolen who were under and currently are under six weeks of quarantine in China. Um, it's a hell of a story. Like it's just like it's one that kind of gives you like it's simultaneously heartbreaking and heartwarming. Very responsible attitudes and very interesting just to see what the situation is like on that side of the world. Yeah, and what it's, it's like for an artist as well. It's really really good read. It's a kind of um glimpse of our future as well. I feel. Um, and it's actually kind of heartening as well to see him be like, okay, we're you know now getting out of fucking isolating and we can go back to kind of normality and you know, cautiously, it's just like, okay, we all want to be there, like maybe a couple of months from now. Um, but yeah, really, really good piece. Okay, we'll move on to our album this week. The artist in question is one that Craig <laughs> desperately wanted to do this week uh, because it's an album that we thought would never be delivered by this artist. The artist is named J Electronica. The record is called A Written Testimony. Let's have a listen to a track by the name of The Blinding. Stay up for failing late nights. She need bread, she need rice, she need thread, she need ice. Either tell it to my bank account or say it to the dice. When I lay down in my bed, it's like my head in the vice. When I look inside the mirror, all I see is flaws. When I look inside the mirror, all I see is balls. In the wee hours of night, trying to squeeze out balls. Bismillah, just so y'all can pick me apart. All right, Craig, do your thing. (laughs) Yeah, now time for something completely different. Time for like a prophecy-driven, intense artist who's like enigmatic enough that his return seems akin to, I don't know, human sacrifice, dogs and cats lying together, mass hysteria. Um, It's a man whose big calling card contains the line, I'm a try of finding the meaning of life in a corona. It's J Electronica. Um, the album starts with a song called The Overwhelming Event. It's not even really a song. It's a Farrakhan speech. 
Um, so yeah, I guess, what can we say about this record? So it's 10 years in the making, it's called Written Testimony. Um, the J in J Electronica this time around stands as much for Jay-Z because he does nearly 40%, I think, of the rapping on this. Um, J Electronica, in case you don't know, is a confirmed real human being. We know that, at least. But he's kind of, I don't know, hip-hop's Jay Paul, maybe? Like, this is akin to... Frank Ocean coaxing Jay Paul out of semi-retirement to do like a Throne-style collaboration album. And I guess if you if you don't know Jay Electronica, the thing about him is, like if you're not up to speed in the way people like myself are, who've long, you know, since taken him to our hearts and been obsessed with him, it won't take you long to catch up. So slim is his body of work. Um, so... <laughs> Essentially, Exhibit A, if you want to know why people um, care so deeply about J Electronica, is the song Exhibit C. Are you familiar with it? I am not. Okay, so it's one of the greatest hip-hop songs of all time, um, essentially. It like arrived in 2009. It was like fresh out the box, incredible statement of intent. Um, J Electronica is this guy who grew up in New Orleans, had quite a nomadic life. His backstory is full of stuff like, then he started hanging out with Jay Dilla. Um, then he like, you know, ran away with a Rothschilder um, who was also married. Um, Exhibit C is just... Phenomenal. They introduced him as like a, a kind of heir to Nas, just incredible bars, kind of talking about his incredible backstory, but also his philosophy. He's a five percenter, so he's deeply into Muhammad, um, the Islamic faith, um, black empowerment, and he mixes those kind of philosophical points in with his story. It was like really intoxicating. It's one of the great tracks. And then there was, like he was promptly signed to Rock Nation by Jay-Z, who adores him. Then there was kind of nothing. He, he's, you know, popped up here and there. He's been on a Justin Bieber song. He did, was on Control um, with the likes of Kendrick Lamar. It's that, you know, Kendrick verse where he called out loads of people. He was, you know, dating Erica Badu for a long time, um, doing some kind of collaborations together as well. But basically, every time he's asked about the debut album over the last decade, he says, "Yeah, in my own time, we'll get to it. We'll get to it." We thought it was never coming. It's finally here, but it also isn't really. As I say, this is very much like a Watch the Throne style duet album where Jay-Z is, Jay-Z does the first verses. We don't even hear Jay Electronica until the second track. He's kind of buried. He's buried on his own album. It's a very odd one. What did you make of it? I found it really hard to tune into. I enjoyed the experience yeah. on a surface level, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, I didn't have this kind of mythical build-up. So this guy's 43 now, I believe. I mean, yeah. I'm kind of curious as to why it's taken so long. But then again, you know, I mean, like some people make a film once every 55 years. Some people write a book just once in their entire lives. Fair enough. You know, artistry is artistry. I respect that. Um, the Jay-Z element to it threw me big time because it was kind of like, as you say, you're almost getting more Jay-Z. <laughs> like it's like, and don't get me wrong. I think Jay-Z is good on this. Yeah. He's As definitely in, inspired. He like I think, himself, uh, yeah, I, I think you can kind of hear how much respect he has for Jay Electronica because he's very much trying. He's in four forty four mode. He's you know he sounds he's still doing that thing which I don't think Prime Jay Z would have done, where he's spilling over the bars and he's like his meter isn't great and he's getting experimental maybe to be like really kind to him but he's definitely in the the best form he's been in in like five years or so I'd say but is this a really bad creative direction like does it completely take away from 
for you as I mean, fan is fan the word like in terms of you going into this. I mean, did you feel a bit shortchanged? It, it is a weird listen initially. I will agree with you that it can kind of tend to wash over you. Like it's quite a crunchy sound. It's quite lo-fi. Most of the album is produced by um, Jay Electronica himself. There is, you know, beats by the likes of Alchemist. Um, no ID pops up, but it's quite like it really is a stroll through maybe the back pages of um, Black Excellence. It's not an album that is a calling card in the way the track Exhibit C was. There's no bangers of that nature. It's very much a headphones record. It reminded me quite a lot of the Purple Tape, uh, Raekwon and Ghostface Killer's seminal record from back in the day. And it is one that, like, I think taken as a whole, it's very deep. I think both men are trying to achieve something that isn't um, about properly launching Jay Electronica into the mainstream or re-announcing them. They're trying to speak to raising up their people, um, what hip-hop means for empowering the culture. Um, Clearly, Jay-Z also is buying into the kind of um, Islamic faith, it would seem, right, that Jay Electronica has such a huge part of his personality, which is probably new for Jay-Z. Like, he's kind of playing like a student to the master of Jay Electronica on this role. I, I think they gel quite well. Once I get got over the initial thing of like, okay, this is definitely one to have like genius open, like there's, you know, bars in Arabic, you don't quite get all the references, particularly if that's not your culture. Um, it's not immediate. Um, and also Jay-Z is kind of dominating. Once you get past that, you can kind of stand back and go, okay, if I if I dedicate enough time to this, this kind of almost sacred text I will find kind of, you know, bountiful fruit. But it's definitely not like a kind of, he's back, yeah, let's like roll out the hits. It's not that kind of record whatsoever. No, not at all. And I'm kind of glad to hear you talk about that density because for me, it did feel like I was reading a very long article on The Ringer or on The Atlantic or something that that like maybe someone had put together who really, really knows their stuff. I mean, it feels like something for a scholar to try and maybe take apart. So on a base level, while I enjoyed the experience just on a pure error level, I was kind of like, well, I don't really know a lot of what this is. I don't really know a lot of what I'm hearing lyrically and I don't really know if these songs are even particularly good because they're unconventional like the even like Travis Scott pops up for a feature and you know doesn't really add a lot to it in the traditional what you would expect from him kind of way uh, there's also sure. been some accusations of uh, anti-semitism based on one of the tracks I don't know again I don't know enough about it I know it's a Rothschild reference in there um, there was a DJ who has kind of pulled him up on on this one on, on Ghost of Soldier Slim I believe but again I mean like for me it's I don't know enough about the culture and I'll flat out say that I mean like I, I went into this as a almost completely blind to see if the personality I'd heard quite a bit about in the shadows would be enough to kind of carry it. I think it actually is. I just, yeah, he is quite compelling, leave, right? He's very compelling, but it just didn't leave that kind of visceral impression on me that I always look for. Um, it's one I need to look at in a week when I'm not writing stories about the fucking coronavirus. I know, right? I think. And that was another thing, right? Like this week I found, as I said earlier, I found myself not really listening to music. Just, you know, first of all, because I think I was having that Tetris effect of just scrolling through news feeds and seeing like all of, you know, the developments and being a bit stressed about that, but also just work being a bit crazy. I haven't really been turning to music that much, except for the fact I've had this kind of on constant repeat underneath it. So I feel like subliminally this is now in my psyche, even though I couldn't recognize maybe 
every song straight off. You're not going to wait. Like, it's just kind of seeping into the mood and the vibe. And I definitely think it chimes with the times because you do have that, like, you know, end of times prophecy stuff going on. Um, the you know the biblical stuff, the Quran stuff is very, <laughs> you know, would be easy to get swept up in. Uh, you know, in terms of the anti-Semitism thing, I think he is a dude who, um, probably listens to a lot of podcasts that go into Illuminati talk and conspiracy theories, and you know who built the pyramids, and which can be kind of fun. I think, like you know, just alien chats, blah blah blah. Um, who's running the world? But I think the dodgy territory is sometimes those conspiracy theories go into uh, like you know is Israel ruling the world and that's a very very slippery dangerous slope so I'd like to hope he's not going there (laughs) Um, but yeah that is definitely one to look out for again I'd be the same as you I don't I haven't read enough into it I haven't like studied the lyrics enough to know about that but I I think he's more coming from a black empowerment angle than denigrating other races or people you would hope it's an album I want to listen to again in a less analytical headspace I have been going to music for therapy absolutely during this strange time that we find ourselves in, but mostly kind of familiar stuff that I know will work on me. So to try and dive into something like this, um, I could only really appreciate it on a surface level. So, you know, score-wise, 6 out of 10, but that's not really fair. Put a giant asterisk next to that, basically. Definitely worth checking out. Good production, too, as well, for sure. Yeah, like as I say, that kind of crunchy lo-fi sound. He he was friends, obviously, with Dilla, as we said, and it, it is that kind of Dilla-style vibe, right? It's a bit wonky, it's a bit off kilter, but it does hit the spot. Um, it's quite hypnotic. I'm going to go like a seven, and I think it's a seven that's going to come back to haunt me <laughs> the more I listen to it, um, because it'll probably end up going up. But yeah, haunt me in more ways than one. There's there's something special about it, but it's definitely not <laughs> it's definitely not the debut album I was hoping for or expecting. But I'm quite glad to have it. I think haunt me in more ways than one says prison <laughs> dream fanatic Craig Fitzpatrick. Oh my god, I've got like fucking metaphysical vertigo at this stage. Um, uh, and it's not Bono related. Um, yep. <laughs> Metaphysical Vertigo is the name of your band's first terrible hit, I think. You know, <laughs> massive new wave drum style guitar. Like, nice. uh, oh, I threw that on, by the way. I threw on the drums earlier on and it was a bit of crack. Brought me back to those nice summer days and hot press. Simpler times, eh? Oh, yeah. Forever uh, and ever, amen. Yeah. Incredible song. <laughs> Forever and ever, amen. So this week, our top five, we are doing top five exit music for a film. And what that means is. As I described in the show last week, a song that plays over the end credits of a film, right as it comes up on the screen, who wrote and who directed it. So listen, Craig, I actually wanted to deviate from the script a little bit. I really nice. wanted to pick I wanted to pick the ending of a video game, but I didn't because I thought it'd be too much. Do you can you guess what ending of a video game I thought of? Um The Last of Us? It's The Last of Us, oh, for sure. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> that's interesting because there's a connection in my list, <laughs> um, which we'll get to in a few. But, um, oh yeah, like that would have been an amazing choice because, Jesus, yeah, I won't be playing The Last of Us anytime soon <laughs> in the current climate, in this economy. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's the time to play it. If you've never played The Last of Us, I won't spoil it, but it's an absolutely beautiful ending up there with any good film ending, really, because that's pretty much what it is. And yeah. the mix of emotion and the mix of camera cuts and the mix of cutting at the right time with wonderful music playing over it just adds to the whole thing. And with that in mind, we'll kick off our list. Do you want to go first? 
Sure, I'll go first. Um, I was also thinking, you know, if people haven't seen these films, are we going to be like spoilers galore? Do I mean, you know I mean, for sure, yeah. But also, yeah, we need to provide context. Like, none of them are brand new. Okay, also, by the way, yeah, we should probably say ahead of time, but because we're doing Skype this week, we know each other's lists as of a few hours ago. Yeah, so it was a necessity, we, really. There's no, like, crazy surprise this time. I know what Craig's going to say. He knows what I'm going to say. Hope that doesn't break the illusion for you too much, but <laughs> it's already technically tricky enough as it is. So, okay. uh, I guess maybe maybe the move should yeah. be, um, when we do the introduction, we start with the film title before the clip, and then people can, like, duck out or take off their headphones if they don't want to know and skip on, like, two minutes or something like that. But, um, yeah, I'll kick off with my number five. It's from the film Half Nelson, 2006's Half Nelson, starring Ryan Gosling. And here it is. Cool, that was Da 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 Da, I think, <laughs> by Broken Social Scene. Um, what can I say about this? This is probably one of my favorite films ever. I presume you're extremely familiar. Um, it was probably my first encounter with Ryan Gosling, although he'd obviously done The Notebook. I don't know how that escaped my attention at the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is just... I mean, I could pick the whole soundtrack, really. Um, Broken Social Scene are a huge part of the film. They're, you know, essentially another character. Um, but you've got some amazing scenes just set to... Some of their greatest songs, like The Shampoo Suicide. Half Nelson is a film in which Ryan Gosling plays um, a kind of down and out high school teacher um, called Dan Dunn, who um, he's extremely charismatic. It's like you think it might go all Dead Poet Society until you realize that he is a, a massive drug problem and he needs a little help from um, one of his own students, really. Uh, he's kind of coupled together with this astonishing kind of young actress, uh, Sharika Epps, at the time. I see Mackie's also in it. It's um, it's a bit scrappy. It's a bit kind of rough around the edges. The film probably has its flaws. It's quite an indie um, indie film, but like I remember the first time I saw it, it just blew me away. It's so evocative. The soundtrack is a large part of that. It's left quite open-ended, but also quite hopeful. And this track, da-da-da-da, it's just like you're off to the races again. Um, <laughs> I'm not even saying that title right. I just realized, because I've never said it out loud before, I can't say it. But yeah, it's just like, um, it kicks back up. There's that, you know, heavy breathing and you're left wondering what is going to happen with this pair. But it also does that really good closing credits job of, it's quite a stirring number. So like you leave the cinema just going, oh yeah, I feel like 10 feet tall. Great film. I, uh, I'm i definitely on Team Ryan Gosling. I actually rewatched The Nice Guys last weekend, which I think is an excellent, I excellent adore that film. film, yes. It's a tragedy that we're never going to get a sequel because it didn't make its money back. R Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe are maybe the greatest screen couple of the last 10 years. Oh, so, so good. Uh, so good. The first time I saw Ryan Gosling in a film was in a film called The Believer, which came out in 2000, I believe, in which yes, he plays yeah. a Jewish student who gets caught up in anti-Semitism. And it's it, it, the performance was definitely the most intriguing thing about the film. Um, so yeah, I followed his career as we all have. I think I saw Half Nelson 
after I saw a film that came a year later, which was Lars and the Real Girl, which I thought he was amazing in. And that's very indie, very twee, you know, the kind of thing that I would either love or I would hate. Turns out I loved it. Half Nelson is a, you know, kind of equally dark, but in a much different way. And also has that kind of weird bittersweetness. Terrific performance. And yeah, I mean, like, it's weird. Like, I wish Gosling was doing more things, but doing better things, because he has a tendency to pop up in a lot of erratic, not very good things. He's a bit, you know, like for a long time, the world kind of fell in love with the guy, but I do think he's genuinely great. And he is I'd fantastic. like to see him do, I feel like he's overdue some kind of weird, not renaissance because he's still young and it hasn't been like a McConaughey situation, but there's just something missing from his career and I can't quite put my finger on it, but I, I you know, yeah. as we always say on the show, I hope for the best for him. Yeah, he keeps picking like scripts that I can understand why he's picking them, but they don't turn out to be very good films. Do you know what I mean? Like his hit rate hasn't been that great. Um, I'm sure he'll come back because he's usually the best part of any film he's in. So yeah, keep at it, Ryan. (laughs) Okay, so for my list, by the way, Craig, I have included... Uh, the ending of the film itself. I've included yes. like the last seconds of the movie to give you some context, and then rolling into the song. But I'm Which not going to. I'm not going to announce it beforehand. I'm just. We're just going to dive in and listen. Oh, really? Have to just you know go with me on this trip. Yeah, I, I think it's got more drama to it. So all right, okay. here's my number five. I started driving faster as I left the college behind. I didn't know where I was going. Someplace unoccupied, I hoped. At first I thought there were things about her that I would never forget, but in the end, all I could think about was... That is the ending of The Rules of Attraction. That was James Van Der Beek of Dawson's Creek fame giving a closing monologue that gets cut off abruptly and rocks into Stop by Erasure. So that gives you kind of a sense of what this is all about. The Rules of Attraction was a film adaptation of a Brad Easton Ellis book about, wait for it, uh, drug-addled, sex-fucking-manic <laughs> college what? students... <laughs> who are basically like walking vampires. Now, if you've never read the book or if you've never seen the film, James Van Der Beek plays Sean Bateman, who is, yes, the younger brother of Patrick Bateman of American Psycho fame. Uh, Brady Snellis is one of those guys where, you know, some people like hear his name and are like, fuck off, the most cliched white guy thing ever. I really, really have no time for Brady Snellis' politics. I really have little time for him as a person these days. However, I can't deny it. I think he's a terrific writer, and I I really, really did fall into his books as I was coming out of my teens and going into my 20s or whatever. And I think think for what that is, for what his kind of genre is, no one does it better. And The Rose of Attraction is an interesting kind of indie film that didn't quite take off. It's got a big cast. It's got James Van Der Beek. It's got Kate Bosworth, Shannon Sossaman, Clifton Collins Jr., Ian Summerhalder, Ian Summerhalder, and a lot of others. 
And I remember as well, I mean, like this is back when I was, I've referenced before on the, on the podcast, I was in a mental hospital around this time, having dropped out of school because I was suicidal. And I remember reading, there was a film magazine called Hot Dog, which was kind of, there was a magazine called Neon years before this, and that kind of went out of print. And then Hot Dog was like this other cool alternative that went out of print. But I remember very, very vividly being in the hospital and having a few magazines. And one of the magazines had Sean and Sossaman on the front cover, and it was all about, you know, Rules of Attractions coming out soon. And I'd read the book, so I can really, really place it in my mind. It's not the greatest film of all time. It's wildly obnoxious, as you might expect. But it does have a fucking incredible soundtrack. You got Donovan on there, you got The Cure, you got lots of other good stuff in there, too, and a really good kind of original score as well. The Rapture, Out of the Races and Onto the Tracks an amazing song but I just found that the ending of this with it's kind of you know driving off into the snow the abrupt cut off the really kind of apathetic cruelness of it all and then smash cut into this ludicrous erasure fucking upbeat pop song which is also dark in its own way yeah it's yeah, the first thing that came to mind for me that is a little kind of genre of itself where it's just get, you get the kind of slightly ironic closing credit song but I think this might be one of the better examples of that like I was um, <laughs> I was toying with and spoilers maybe sticking in some Tarantino because he does that quite a lot but I think we've had this discussion away from the show where like if you return to the likes of Reservoir Dogs and you know Reservoir Dogs ends with Coconut it seems really flippant and oddly cruel. <laughs> like it's <laughs> when you kind of go back to Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, there's, there's some of that in Tarantino. I think um, Pulp Fiction he he does it well. I think Surf Rider over the Zen credits is yeah, actually very yeah well that done. makes sense, especially because the chronology of it. I, I, I think it's yes, kind of cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's it's no Tarantino hopeful. on my list. Yeah, Rules of Attraction. Um, I haven't seen that probably since around when it came out. The Donovan song is that Colors. I think that's a great. Selection. It is. Yeah, it yeah is it's indeed, a good yeah. film. Yeah. And the backwards credits as well. I'm going to have to, I might watch that film again soon. <laughs> I've got time. Um, after your intense pick, here's something to cheer everyone up or infuriate them. Yep, that was Bill Me Up Buttercup by the foundation taken from, of course, there's something about Mary. Um, <laughs> I like kind of had to just stick this in because I had a huge shortlist and it was all quite like heartbreaking and intense and philosophical. And then I was like, I think I need to just like find the best example of what used to always be the thing in comedies, like particularly that era of comedies of just like getting the crew together to like sing a song. Um, I think this is the best example of that. Uh, I love this film. I don't know. You you might hate it. I've no idea how you feel about this film. I saw it again recently. Yeah. Uh, okay, look, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll, I'll throw myself under the bus here. Well, I, I went to see this film in the cinema with my mother. <laughs> That's allowed. Oh, dude, I was like, what, 14? Yeah. Whatever year this oh, came out? Yeah. I went to see The Passion Awkward. of the Christ with my mother. I'd rather see The Passion of the Christ <laughs> with my mother than see this. Fucking yeah, ben there's Stiller a couple of scenes. Come. Like, her, no, come on. Like, like it's... <laughs> the Passion at least is like, hey, this is a, sp- a snuff film, isn't it? Like, it's a man nah, getting nah, flayed like, to yeah. death. <laughs> For our sins. Give me a bit Great. of jizz any day. <laughs> Okay, right. The song is amazing. Fair play. 
<laughs> I do love this song. I it's always obviously... uh, I always associate this song for some reason with um, "Higher and Higher" by Jackie Wilson, which actually yeah. plays over the end credits of little scene film that once killed film four, "Deaths to Smoochie," starring Robin Williams and Ed Norton and Danny. DeVito, oh yeah, which is great not film. a great film. It has is it moments, not? but it's kind of not. Great. I remember yeah, that being really that good. It has its moments, but it's a bit much. Um, but the ending is, you know, kind of a song and dance number to Higher and Higher. And for whatever reason, these two songs always run concurrently in my brain. They're both of that kind of really kind of sun-kissed, old-school kind of upbeat style with a little bit of melancholy in there. And this one fits for sure. It's a fucking incredible song. That chorus, man. Who would find oh, this yeah. infuriating? What kind of weirdo? I've no idea. Um, yeah, Colin Young's vocals are great. Like, he really just belts it out, which I think makes it. Um, yeah, it's like that total throwback 60s thing, which I love. The film's great. Really enjoy it. What's your number four? My number four starts with a monologue. You are a cynical bastard, you know that? To reclaim the American dream and reaffirm that fundamental truth that out of many, we are one. You hear that line? Line's for you. Don't make me laugh. For one people. It's a myth created by Thomas Jefferson. Oh, now you never go with Jefferson, huh? My friend, Jefferson's an American saint because he wrote the words, all men are created equal. Words he clearly didn't believe since he allowed his own children to live in slavery. He was a rich wine snob who was sick of paying taxes to the Brits. So yeah, he wrote some lovely words and aroused the rabble and they went out and died for those words while he sat back and drank his wine and fucked his slave girl. This guy wants to tell me we're living in a community don't make me laugh. I'm living in America, and in America you're on your own. America's not a country. It's just a business. Now fucking pay me. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I need Okay, so the song you just heard there is Money by Barrett Strong, which comes in as the cold cup of coffee punchline as delivered by Brad Pitt at the end of the film, Killing Them Softly. Now, this is a film that Brad Pitt made with a director called Andrew Dominic. They made it after they made Dave's favourite film of the last 13 years, The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, which ends, by the way, with my favourite composition ever created by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis, Song for Bob. Stunning, incredible, elegiac, perfect. But I didn't pick that. I picked Mm -hmm. this because... There's just such an acidic punch to this whole sequence. Basically, like context of the movie, Brad Pitt is a kind of a mob enforcer hitman who also kind of delegates work to other hitmen. This film is really scuzzy. It's about the admin of crime. It's about like the fuck ups and the the people on the lower rung of the ladder who get used and spat out and shot in the head when their job is done badly. Brad Pitt is this kind of cool, but also very gross kind of character operating from behind the scenes. And he's talking to Richard Jenkins in this bar at the end. You would have heard Barack Obama. They, this is a device used in the film that is a bit heavy handed to try and contrast the hope versus the fall and the recession and everything. And in the end, Brad Pitt's just like, you know, as you heard him say there, America's not a country. It's just a business. It's a business. I, yeah. I, I don't know why I've been in love with that forever. It's, it's still relevant. It is on the nose, but I just love the juxtaposition. And I think it's a really, really good one, two punch of a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Motown track obviously is incredible. 
I think this is the first time Brad Pitt was like properly scary. Like he's legit intense in this, right? Like there's something about him, um, which I didn't know he could do. It's a great film. Um, yeah, like the whole, you know, this speech always kind of reminds me of like The Wire or something. Just that like like the fucking throwing dice scene of just like, this system is totally corrupt. It's all a facade. It's a dream that people buy into because they've got no other choice. It's bullshit. Here's some Motown. Great song. Great. Okay, and my number three is um, from a dude that I believe did the soundtrack to The Last of Us. I think it's the same guy. Gustavo Santalilo. Um, and this is Brokeback Mountain, The Wings. had to go and break my heart there didn't you Craig that yeah, ending I can't holy fuck yeah I was watching on YouTube there the other day and it was just like fucking hell oh my god um Jack I swear as he looks at their intertwined um denim shirts um yeah it's just it's incredibly affecting the song is an original composition for it I believe the overall work won an Oscar so you know it's good <laughs> um but yeah it just Although, does that kind of yeah, go ahead. You say that, Craig, but it's the film that's not as good as Crash, as we all know. <laughs> oh, that was that year, yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, no, I had to pick this one for the cowboy and all of us. Um, it's a great piece of um, just instrumental acoustic magic. It's like a Bert Jans thing. It's like a kind of classical gas thing. Um, so pastoral, just the most beautiful, beautiful melody. And yeah. I'm not going to go back to the scene anytime soon because like, it just breaks my heart. Oh, it's pure devastation. Yeah. I mean, Brokeback Mountain was so much more than the fucking quote unquote gay cowboy film that everyone seemed to decry totally, it totally. as back in the day. Uh, terrifically made film, great performances, genuinely heartbreaking. And of course it takes on its own kind of weird heartbreak, you know, with Heath Ledger passing away only a few years after the fact. Uh, yeah. Great choice. Thanks for making me feel sad. I'm going to, I'm going to pick this back up, Craig, with Do my it. number three. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone, and then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there, is a choice I leave to you.
so yeah Craig there you go uh, if you found yourself finding out what the world was much like Keanu Reeves in the Matrix here you'd want Rage Against the Machines wake up to wake you up wouldn't you yeah um, it's a great song this kind of definitely gave it a, a second wind. I, I'm going to admit, at the time, I wasn't really a Matrix guy. I feel oh, like I didn't on. see I it until like a couple of years after it was released. Yeah, like I, I think it passed cinema, me by at the time. 1999, 15 years of age, and I remember, I remember extremely well walking up the street back to my house with my friend who I went to see it with, and I remember being like, we say it a lot on the show, but feeling 10 feet tall, really feeling like I could do anything, like I could take on the world. I was so fucking pumped. I was just full of electricity. I felt like what what The Rock must feel like every day of his life. It was just like, oh my God. I, if I could have gone back in, I think it was like a late showing or something. If I could have gone back in to see it again, I would have. I love this film. I have I, I rewatched it there for the first time in a very, very, very long time after all the hype, after the very disappointing sequels. And it holds up, man. It actually really, really does. Sure, some of the effects are naturally dated, although they were incredible at the time. It's a great fucking film. Keanu Reeves, forever underrated. Put him in the right role. He's fine. He's amazing in it. And just that ending with that song. I mean, come on. Also, it is great. Yeah. Myself and uh, myself and the aforementioned Mickle Galaxy have a running gag. Uh, I did see that a listener to the show did say on Twitter during the week that like there is this thing called the um, the Walk of Life Project. Is that what it's called? The Dire Straits song. Is that the name of it? Um, I'm probably getting that wrong, but like there's Not a thing sure, where basically yeah. like someone has someone has put like Dire Straits over the uh, the ending of every film ever, and it, you know to fuck with them, and it's it's a really really funny art project. But Mick and I have this kind of running gag where like we think that the credits of every film ever would be vastly improved if it began with come on like imagine coming on at like the end of the Passion of the Christ like. <laughs> yeah, that would have been phenomenal. Uh, what did, did she, like the whole did the whole like conversation around the Matrix not spoil it for you slightly? Where like every fucking David Icke type is just like, actually, the Matrix got it right. We are in a simulation, and this is a course, you know yeah. a modern you know modern religious and then on top parable. Of that you have. Yeah. Yeah. And then on top of that, you have fucking like scumbags who are like trans, you know, deniers oh, yeah, yeah. and everything. And it's like, the hate to break it to you, lads. Hate to break it to you, lads. The directors of the film. You might want to Google that. Uh, yeah. No, that is that is disappointing. And like all the red pill shit. Yeah. I mean, like, but I don't like. To me, it's a case. This actually tees up my 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 next choice quite well. <laughs> but like, I do find that like that those conversations can exist and I can not be part of them and I can still really appreciate the science fiction film that I loved when I was 15 and think is a pretty good two hours to watch when you're just looking for something to chill out to. I don't subscribe to that fucking horrible rhetoric and Rage Against the Machine, uh, despite the fact that they're playing Electric Picnic if it does go ahead, are still fucking amazing in the year 2020 and very necessary. Cool. Um, staying with like end times vibes, um, this is a song and a film that kind of harnesses flower power to conjure up something that's altogether more apocalyptic.
that was Somebody to Love by Jefferson Airplane, and it's from Coen Brothers' film, A Serious Man, 2009, I believe. You're better with these things than me, Dave. But yeah, over a decade ago now. Are you fecking a door when like 60s rock and roll is, as you can probably tell, deployed in films? Um, another reason Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was such a treat for me recently. I think like Tarantino, Coen Brothers can do that like very well when they want to. The Big Lebowski is obviously an example. I've gone Serious Man, which is um, kind of a modern like story of Job retelling set in the Midwest. And this song is actually, like I'm slightly cheating because this is introduced at the start. It's kind of played throughout um, as kind of like with a sense of foreboding. Um and then, if people haven't seen it, basically it's God appearing as a pillar of wind or kind of quite like Old Testament style to lay his wrath on the family of the main protagonist. Um, the song just works so well, but it's just the, the space in it, the vocals is incredible. It's like being electrocuted. Uh, I remember walking out of cinema after seeing this and just, I was it's absolutely stunned. I love that film. I don't think it gets talked about enough. Um, were you a fan? Well, here's the thing. I'm going to really upset you and I'm going to really upset my No Popcorn co-host David Higgins by admitting that I have not seen this film. Oh, what? I know, it's bad of me. Um, for me, the cinematic accompaniment to this song would be Jim Carrey doing a horrific karaoke version of it in <laughs> The Cable Guy, which is kind of an underrated film, by the way. Yeah, it's a very good film. I saw it last year for the first time in years, and yeah, it is actually very good. Um, that, I think, is maybe more disturbing than what ha- happens at the end of A Serious Man, and that's saying something. But yeah, seek no it spoilers, out. Mate, I will get to no, it. Do, please do. It's haunting, right. it's discombobulating. Roll on with your number two. My silver medal is here, and it's going to be me defending the film again. Here we go. Who did this? I did Yes, but it's okay. Marla, look at me. I'm really okay. Trust me. Everything's gonna be fine. You met me at a very strange time in my life. That was, of course, Where Is My Mind by Pixies. The film, of course, was Fight Club from 1999. Same year as The Matrix. Hell of a year, by the way. And yes, another film that unfortunately has been ruined by dickheads who took the (laughs) message in the wrong way. This film, to me, and the book as well, were anti-capitalist. They were anti 
bravado male machismo bullshit it was a satire on those things it wasn't Tyler Durden the problem with casting 99 era Brad Pitt as the embodiment of male physical perfection is that he was he was in 1999 (laughs) and he probably still is and it's like so naturally enough you think that Tyler Durden is the coolest character of all time because as he says to himself I look like you want to look, I fuck like you want to fuck. And you're like, yeah, true facts, mate. I mean, this is a guy much like Ryan Gosling in fucking Drive who goes around wearing ridiculous clothes that would look insane on anybody else. But on these two people, they look like fucking gods. However, Fight Club is this dark, pitch black comedy. And I really don't think you're meant to think the guy's a hero. You're not meant to follow his worldview. People following his worldview leads to the collapse of society and innocent people get killed. It's 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 so obvious to me that the characters in this movie running around are fucking idiots. And yet, yeah. unfortunately, people think it's this fucking Bible. Now, I was obsessed with this film. I really, really was for such a long time. But I honestly, I, yeah, I thought it was cool because it, it is a cool film the way it's made. It looks amazing. The soundtrack is incredible. The acting is brilliant. It's David Fincher. That final shot as well is just so so iconic at this point. It's brilliant. And and like, honestly, I mean, like, what a perfect fucking needle drop. Like, what a perfect, perfect song to put in there. I mean, yeah, it's on the nose in terms of the song title, but it works perfectly. But let's just talk about Pixies for a second here, because what a band. What an incredible band who have made yeah. some of the great fucking songs, so unique in their own kind of, like, their own kind of strange twisted little wheelhouse and just the guitar line the vocals it's it's such a bizarre fucked up little love song and i adore it yeah it couldn't have been anyone but the pixies they do that so well just that thing of just you know love songs that are kind of about mutilation and stumbling out of the desert and incest and aliens and ufos and all that kind of stuff yeah fight club i similarly like adored it at the time i keep saying adore i don't know why but we're you know national emergency cut me some slack uh, but I all, now always think of it as, like, around the time I started college, I remember one dude um, when I was studying English Lit in Trinity. <laughs> and I always remember this one moment where one dude in my class was talking the ear off some girl about the symbolism and the importance of Fight Club. <laughs> and it was just like the most try-hard <laughs> thing ever. It's like watching this, this is from the like problem. a slight distance. I was like, oh my this God, stop ruining Fight Club for me. <laughs> Listen, I totally, I, I hereby apologize to any girl who I've definitely probably done that with at some point in my life. I'm sorry. I remember even years ago uh, being in the Workman's uh, and like fucking Gone Girl had come out. And I remember chatting about Gone Girl to a friend of mine and a girl like started talking to us about it. And I I, I, I swear <laughs> on my life, I did not well actually this person. I was just saying, actually, well, I, I, I hope I didn't use the word actually, but I, I was just saying, no, no, for me, it's like, it's this. And I, I think at the end of that film, you have that sequence where, you know, she's in the room and, every FBI agent is, is, is a bloke and they're ignoring, you know, like, like the obvious signs in front of them. And the one female cop is the only one talking sense. And that's a commentary. And we end up having a very nice conversation and I wasn't trying to hit on this person. Or whatever, <laughs> but all I can say is I'm sure I've been that guy. I, I wish I never was. I, I, I hate that there is that thing still out there. I just think it's a fucking great film. It is. But I is totally perfect. understand. Like it's, it's one of those things where if you're on a date with somebody, I, th- I think I'm holding back my, I think Fight Club and the work of Brady Snellis are very good until like date five, maybe date six, you know, oh and you kind of have to like temper it. 
my version of that for a time and no longer is, unless maybe I have a few drinks with me, is talk, trying to get people, no, trying to get people into, well, girls specifically, into football by talking about the importance of Eric Cantona and what he meant to society <laughs> and how he was Great. actually an artist and a revolutionary. <laughs> God, I miss football. We're bad people, aren't we? We're bad we people. We are bad people. But- we have a long yeah. common, Craig. Now, here we go. Yeah, how are we going to do ever this? On Let's this top five. Our number one is our number one. It's a joint number one. We picked the same thing, unknowingly. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, saying there will be no encore is just another way of saying, told you I ain't going back. It is, of course, Heat, the greatest film ever made. It is, of course... I love how I was like, hey, listen, man, you know, we're, do- we're totally not bros. And then we picked the biggest bromance ending of all time to I love it ever. so much. The song is God moving over the face of the waters. The artist is Moby. It is the ending of Heat. This film is from 1995, so I'm sorry if you haven't seen it, but I'm, I have to say the following words. Go ahead. Al Pacino shoots Robert De Niro in an, in an airfield... Robert De Niro, who vowed that he would not return to prison in this cat and mouse game, it comes to an end after three intense as fuck hours in the greatest crime film ever made. And you have that stunning, stunning moment where a dying Robert De Niro puts out his hand to Al Pacino, (sighs) whose eyes are watering because he did not want this to happen. And Al Pacino, of course, takes his hand and it is devastating and perfect and brilliant and perfect. And I love it. It's the greatest I've, thing of yeah. all time. I feel like this is a shorthand with us where like any slight reference of this moment and we just have a massive moment, unspoken moment. It's so good. <laughs> it's like I was watching it on YouTube there the other day and I was like, all three and a half hours, let's go. Let's go right now. I want to watch this film again <laughs> right now from the start. So great. It's um, just unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Mann's always been incredible <sighs> at picking the perfect songs, right? Um I think well, maybe because I mean, like it, maybe Bar it's not on the same Audio level. Slave in Miami Vice, but that aside, <laughs> that one blemish aside. <laughs> but it's Miami Vice that has Otter Rock by Mogwai playing over yes. the credits, 
which is stunning. So all uh, is forgiven. And yeah. I was, I and I really, really thought about it, but I was like, nah, there's just, there's no chance. There's nothing that could top this. I mean, like when when I thought of doing this list, I was like, well, I know my number one, and I did. I was wondering. I was like. I'd be very surprised if it's not on Craig's list. And then, yeah, given the nature of this episode recording, when I got your five, I was just like, get the fuck in. Not only is it there, yeah. but you know, it's no, the it right spot. There was, like, it wasn't even a debate. As I say, I had a kind of a long short list, but the number one was nailed on from the get-go. Incredible. Talk about the track, though. I mean, like, it's fucking this heavenly procession, this loop thing, proof that Moby is more than just advertising music and just this unbelievable yeah. kind of promise, uh, the promise of the otherworldly, I think. Hello, that's the most pretentious thing I've ever said. Catch me in a smoke and <laughs> talking about Brett Easton Ellis. <laughs> Moby is like, Real obviously, um, <laughs> Moby's obviously a kind of a figure of fun at best at the moment. But yeah, such a talented musician. If you look kind of outside of play, this was on Everything is Wrong, which I think was his 90, was it out in 93, 94, 95? Um, just before he kind of went punk rock on that Animal Rights album and like nearly destroyed his own career before play. Um, but yeah, I think Moby, when he's asked about, you know, best thing he ever wrote, you know, the thing he's proudest of, he always says this song and quite rightly. Okay, so that's our top five. We'll make a Spotify playlist. We'll put it out on No Encore and at Craigie Slane, at Henry Dave on Twitter. Come say hello. You're not doing much else, I suppose. Yeah. If this episode wasn't too much of a nightmare to edit together, we'll do it again next week. This, of course, was engineered by Sonic Architect guest for the week, Dahi Hodroni. Hey! Uh, the boy just can't do too much for us. Have you been listening to anything else, Craig? I've been listening to some playlists for some comfort. Um, I'm making occasional playlists over on Twitter. I said I would do daily and that hasn't happened, of course. But I've also been listening to this uh, episode of the podcast Reply All that everyone's listening to at the moment, which is about a guy who remembers a hit from back in the day and he can track it down and the host of the show almost goes crazy trying to do so. I'd recommend checking that out. Go to Reply All and it'll be like the most recent one. I think it was on the 5th of March. Uh, This is me recommending another podcast that doesn't know that we exist, but it's a very good listen and David Tapley of Tandem Felix brought it to my attention. So thank you very much, Tapley. Nice. Yeah, I haven't been listening to too much outside of Jay Electronica and trying to, you know, struggle to come to grips with the state of the world. I did... Like just starting working from home, I was like, Do you know what? This is going to be the time I get into classical music. I'm finally going to like dive into the greats and try to understand it and I'll have plenty of time to do it. You're gonna whack on Lyric FM for the day. <laughs> so I was like, I'll start with Chopin because, you know, apparently he's quite easy listening, also good for when you're working. Um, and I was enjoying it till about maybe forty minutes into this is Chopin, the playlist. And Piano Sonata Number 2 came on, which I don't know if you know it. It's otherwise known as the Funeral March. <laughs> it's like, it's that... I was like, right, that's enough music for the week. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, and that's enough No Encore for the week. Thank yes. you so much, Craig. Love you, man. Take care of yourself. This has been <laughs> <Yes>. fun. <laughs> what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't know, you. dude. Yes. It's Skype. It's fucking me <laughs> okay. up. Yeah, Skype is pretty terrifying. We tried our best. Hopefully, it's okay. And uh, yeah, listen, stay safe out there. It's a strange time. We're all doing our best. Be responsible. I sound like a fucking asshole influencer now, but seriously, if you're listening to us and if for whatever reason you're not being responsible, stop that right now. Social distance. Stay clean. Let's get the fuck out of this and let's hopefully get back to some kind of normality in the coming months. I'm really looking forward to having cans again, Craig, in the park. You've no fucking idea. It's oh, killing man. me. Have cans this summer. It's happening. Uh, I hope so. I sound like a drunk. It's killing me. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, anyway, it's very weird. Uh, weird times, that's but it. that's it know, for now. This too shall pass. All right, my name is Dave Hanratty. His name is Craig Fitzpatrick. This has been No Encore. There will be no encore, and there will be an encore for this crazy moment that we find ourselves within. Back soon. Love you. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.